This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Ram gets a new leader. Car dealers say they like the market, but not the interest rates. And the Detroit Auto Show expects double the brands this year. Plus, Lisa Lunsford, CEO of supplier GS3 Global, joins the show to talk about how business is looking in 2023 and how suppliers are preparing for at least one big UAW strike this year. It it has a huge impact. So I would like for both sides to think about that as they're coming together, that this is real, this is people. This is not just numbers on a sheet. This is how people feed their families. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The Ram brand is getting a new leader. Stellantis says Dodge CEO Tim Kaniskas will also be Ram's CEO starting July 1st. He replaces Mike Koval Jr., who will head the Mopar North America Parts Unit instead. In the Stellantis brand stable, Ram is number two in the U.S. behind only Jeep. The leadership change comes as Ram prepares to launch an electric van this year, followed by the electric 1500 Rev pickup in 2024. The moves are part of a shuffle that involves several other Stellantis executives as well. Olivier Francois, the automaker's global CMO and Fiat brand CEO, will widen his scope of responsibilities and is being appointed CEO of DS Automobiles. Stellantis said Ned Couric, who's currently chief technology officer, will extend his responsibilities to include R&D and will become chief engineering and technology officer. Couric is replacing Harold Vester, who is retiring. U.S. franchise dealerships are seeing a favorable market and expect it to continue next quarter. That's according to dealers that Cox Automotive polled in April and May as part of its quarterly dealer sentiment index survey. But that optimism has been tempered by economic uncertainty and the issue of borrowing cost. Dealerships cited interest rates much higher than a year ago as their number one concern harming their business. The economy was the second biggest worry and lack of inventory remained the number three factor, the same as a quarter earlier. Detroit Auto Show organizers say this year's event will feature more brands than last year. That was the show's first foray into September, and it extended outside the walls of Huntington Place, formerly known as Cobo Hall. The Detroit Auto Dealers Association, which runs the show, said today that it expects more than double the 13 brands that participated in last year's show, General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis were the primary automakers featuring brands in the show, with many European and Asian brands absent. Other additions this year will include an indoor EV test track and a global mobility forum for executives, which will run concurrently with Media Days. Organizers say Ford, GM, and Stellantis will feature their full brand portfolios this year. The show expects multiple vehicle debuts, but did not give specifics about commitments to the show. And digital car keys are becoming more and more common, even as concerns about their security have risen. Digital keys allow drivers to start their cars via mobile phones and other devices. 
Most drivers who use mobile phones to access and start their vehicles say they like the convenience of apps but still worry about security, according to the Car Connectivity Consortium. Automotive cybersecurity experts are still determining if digital keys are as secure as the industry claims. Jason Kent, a hacker in residence at cybersecurity firm Sequence Security, says a rash of recent car thefts in the UK targeting new cars with keyless systems that were hacked using relay attacks or key cloning demonstrates how the industry underestimates vehicle security. And those are today's headlines. So, Jamie, about this Detroit Auto Show, the Detroit Auto Dealers Association is expecting more than double the 13 brands that were there last year. Now, last year's show was what the kids would call mid, meaning it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. Is this their last chance to prove that a Detroit show can work in September? Mid for that mid-September show might be a little generous, although any show with a new Mustang is going to be not too bad. Um, you know, the September show really struggled. Detroit's had a hard time finding a new place. They kind of got bullied out of January by CES. But January did have a culture, a part of the tradition of people coming down bringing their families, coming when it's cold and yucky in January and there's nothing else to do. You can bring the family down and check out the cars, a lot of school field trips. September, it's just been harder to gain traction. There's more stuff they're competing with. School started back up, but it's probably a little early for a lot of field trips. So it's been a challenge. We'll see how that works. There's a lot of skepticism around doubling of the brands. We'll see if they can pull it off. Interesting. Coming up, GS3 Global CEO Lisa Lunsford joins the show to talk about challenges facing suppliers in 2023. That's next on Daily Drive. Longtime listener of AM Radio, we at Automotive News want to hear from you. We're currently taking audio submissions for an upcoming LinkedIn Live where you, the listener, can tell us why you love AM Radio in your car, how long you've been tuning in, and if you're for or against it being completely wiped out from new vehicles in the future. Legislators have recently introduced a bill that would require AM Radio to remain in vehicles to ensure access to emergency alerts. But automakers are dumping the radio as they face pressure to eliminate costs, reduce complexity, and increase EV efficiency. Please record a voice note and send all audio submissions to ansocial at crane.com. Please be sure to include your first and last name and what location you're calling from. Again, send those to ansocial at crane.com. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. 
These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. While automakers and retailers have enjoyed economic tailwinds and rising profits in recent years, suppliers have been struggling. Low production, inconsistent demand schedules, and material shortages have all taken a bite out of suppliers' bottom lines. While many of those trends are easing in 2023, uncertainty remains. Lisa Lunsford, CEO of GS3 Global, a Tier 1 manufacturer headquartered in Southeast Michigan, says there are still concerns about materials coming in consistently. Lunsford spoke with our own Jake Neer at the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island, Michigan. Lisa Lunsford, welcome to Daily Drive. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I want to talk a little bit about GS3. Uh, for one thing, tell us a little bit about the company and what you're what you're doing uh, with the auto industry now, sort of how things have changed in the last year or so, maybe. Well, yeah, GS3 is a metal forming company. We're headquartered in Livonia, Michigan, and that's where we engineer, fabricate, and assemble uh, steel and aluminum alloys into you know different components that are used in automotive, industrial equipment manufacturing, and energy uh, infrastructure construction. Mm. So that's really new. Those two last things are new for us because we're so automotive focused. Yeah, you know, and we were founded in 2010, and we like to say our our, our key phrase is uh, we rose out of the ashes of the Great Recession, right? right. <laughs> so, like a phoenix rising, and so that's that's really our north star, and it sets our mission that you know we continually have to change you know we can't sit in one spot and do the same things and you know because that's not interesting for for anybody you know so so as a privately held company Mm -hmm. i know you don't report earnings publicly Mm -hmm. but how's business business is great but i'm always hungry i always (laughs) tell people i'm I'm still starving you know so but business is really going going well. Mm. So we are excited about the next generation of mobility. And uh, so, you know, we're looking to, you know, develop products to make sure that, you know, we continue on that path and supporting our customers. Uh, and so, you know, COVID, I know, was very difficult on suppliers, especially, you know, we saw low production overall, inconsistent demand schedules. What was your experience at GS3? Did you see those same challenges that we're seeing across the supply base? Yes, yes, we're not immune to it, you know. And uh, you know, I can say this: uh, it was a frightening time, mm. and, you know. And it was like, okay, what are we going to look like? Who are we going to be on the other side of this? Um, I think our greatest worry was uh, the families, you know, that you know we hire people to, you know, provide for their families, and so. The thing is, is not being able to do that anymore, you know? So I had a real fear about that. So my partner, Robert Grusho, and I really worked to make sure that that wouldn't happen, you know, that we would be there, you know? So uh, kind of like the ants working on a, you know, saving up for the rainy day. Uh, we were glad that we were able to do that and so grateful that, you know, uh, we were able to participate in those things with the, you know, financial community coming through with the PPP. Uh, so that we could continue. And now that we're on, you know, I like to say that we're on the other side of it, but I think it's still, you know, it's, 
you know, you still have it in the back of your mind of what if. So now is is even more critical to, you know, make sure that we continue to plan and, and you know, do the risk assessments and um, make the risk assessment really a part of our strategy. You know, that's the first thing we should talk about. What are the risks? Uh, you know, what are some of the specific things that could be on the horizon that may present themselves as big challenges? Well, you know, getting product on the supply chain, right? So as, you know, we're looking at, um, you know, with the war, you know, you got fluorocarbons that are integral to some of our assemblies that we provide to the client. They're not coming in. Mm. So the thing is, is what do we do? What do we do about that? Um, You know, having more than one supplier, um, looking at how do we build more things here in the U.S. onshoring and how can we, you know, be a part of building those things that make things. So that's why I was key to get into industrial equipment manufacturing because you know you need people to build the equipment that makes the stuff right and so you know because that risk of that being shut down now what do you do we got the chips i mean who would have thunk (laughs) right right. i mean i'm sitting there like uh i can't ship because what uh but i don't make chips Mm -hmm. so now what do we do right so how do we diversify, you know, not just out of motive, out of out of automotive, but how do we diversify inside of automotive? You know, how do we uh, try to create that solution for our you know, customers? Um, they're having a, a chip problem, but I don't make chips. But what could I possibly do to help, you know, with that? You know, so I think we have to do a lot better as a, as a system. Yeah. Maybe you mentioned the financial community. There's. Mm-hmm. Um, been a lot of concern this mm-hmm. year specifically mm-hmm. about what happens with financing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use a regional bank like Comerica or something like that? Or is it a, would you call it maybe a too big to fail bank? How is that, how's that partnership working? Uh, too big to fail. I think nothing is too big to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we rose out of the ashes of the Great Recession. Sure, <laughs> so, right, right. But uh, Bank of America mm-hmm. has, been, has been our bank and they've been our bank for uh, since 2010, since we've been in business. And they really partnered with us, you know, to make sure that, you know, we would be financially, you know, able to continue to do the things that we do. Um, They've been there with us on expansion, but then, you know, finding that the other banks are doing the same thing, you know, like, uh, you know, regional banks have reached out and uh, having that, I want to say that uh, track record of, of success, it, I, I don't want to call it success, I want to call it delivery, and because I think that's key to them, you know. And so, um, you know, looking at that and making sure that uh, we continue to do those things, because we're at a growth, GS3 is in a growth phase, mm. right? And uh, I'm looking into our banking community. I'm even, you know, starting to look at, you know, um, you know, is there a possibility for other types of funding? You know, actually getting educated about, you know, those different that are not traditional, mm-hmm. but you know, still loving my relationship with the two. Okay, I call them too big to fail, but <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. Yeah. I do want to ask you about the possibility of one or more strikes this year with UAW negotiations mm-hmm. coming up. What are you doing, if anything, to prepare for the? possibility of that and how would something like that affect you as a tier one well if i can't ship yeah yeah i can't ship 
So again, diversification is key. You know, um, I I want them to come to the middle. You know, I want them to have a conversation so that the strike will not happen. You know, I I don't think it's a us versus they situation. I think it's a us. It's a we. In order for this industry to to continue to be able to employ people or move the the world, you know, automotive. Automotive set the stage for everything. When we talk about the mobility economy, well, mobility comes from being mobile. Mobile means, you know, whether you're on two wheels, one wheel, or four wheels. I like the four wheel thing, you know. <laughs> and um, so I, I just, it, it, it has a huge impact. So I would like for both sides to think about that as they're coming together that. You know, this is real. This is people. This is not just numbers on a sheet. This is how people feed their families. And so I, I really want them to keep that at the forefront as they come to the table to negotiate. And I know that sounds naive, but, you know. And there's so little that you and other suppliers can do really right. to impact this, right? I right. mean, is there, I mean, other than to just sort of prepare and be, you know, just, uh, be ready for it. Just prepare and uh, be ready, mm-hmm. you know, uh, talking to, you know, our employees, letting them know, you know, what's happening. Um, again, diversifying and uh, looking at our other bills. What do we have outside of automotive? Making sure that, you know, people can transition to those jobs just as well. So, you know, we've been able to, you know, do that, do that too. But it's um, it's nothing that we can do. And again, all we can say is, this is real. There are people, there are families here, and it is a us. So let's come to the table and see how we can work together so we can improve the lives of everybody. So if we're talking about, um, you know, making sure that workers are being treated fairly, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, they're financial, you know, they're making a living wage. Um, that's key, mm-hmm. right? You know, you got to be able to feed your family, you yeah. know? I mean, that's the only reason why we do this. I mean, you know, otherwise we'll all be on the beach picking up, you know, coconuts and shellfish <laughs> as we walk along. But uh, Out here on Lake Huron, right behind oh, us. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Oh, <laughs> I, beautiful. Lisa Lunsford, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Daily Drive. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News journalists Vince Bond Jr., John Hutter, and Karn Dingra for their reporting on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on suppliers, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.